Welcome to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. I'm Amanda. And I'm Elizabeth. Thanks for joining us today. Today we're talking about fungicides on corn. There's quite a bit of corn that's tasseled already and pollinating, but we also have a lot that's just getting to that point. So if you're still considering fungicide applications, Hopefully some of the information we give you today can help you make that decision, decide what type of fungicide to use and some tools to help um, help you along the way. And if you're interested in more information as well, we've kind of hit this topic in the corn newsletter and on the corn live broadcast. So just another way to provide that information to you here. Our guest today is Jason Hartshue. He's the Crawford County Educator. Welcome, Jason. Hi, thanks, Amanda. It's great to be with you guys today and uh, see if we can help some farmers around Ohio and make some management decisions that'll either save them money or increase their profitability. So the first thing I think that is important to discuss is when farmers are out scouting their fields and thinking about applying fungicide, what exactly should they be looking for? Yeah, so that's really important. You know, there's no need to apply a fungicide if you don't have a fungal disease. Uh, Depending on what application method you're looking at, you know, you're talking $10 to $20 an acre for the machine to put on the fungicide and another $15 to $30, depending on what fungicide you pick, uh, for that product. So you're looking at maybe $40 or $50. Uh, Granted, I mean, corn price is a lot better, but, you know, at $5 corn, which really for fall, we're not quite there. If you didn't market it already, that's 10 bushels. So can I get that return? So really scouting is important and knowing what to look for. So when we think about fungus, um, the bottom of the plant isn't as critical as the upper portion. So a lot of the energy that goes into the ear actually comes off of the ear leaf. So we can have a little bit of fungal disease um, down those lower leaves. Sure, maybe they're intercepting the last little bit of light, but they're not as critical. It's that ear leaf and up that we're really concerned about. Really, it's that ear leaf. If we're seeing any fungal growth on the ear leaf, at tassel time uh, is when we really start to get concerned and we've had some really good weather for fungal disease. Uh, Most of the disease we deal with here in Ohio like it warm and wet. So depending where you're at in the state that may or may not be you. Uh, I don't I know I'm not in a bubble so there's portions of the state that are kind of dry and they actually may not have as high a potential for fungal problems but there's other portions of the state that uh, over the last three weeks, at least two of them have had basically rain every other day, have been very hot and humid. Uh, you look out over the cornfield and you almost see a haze. That haze is the heat, the humidity coming up off of the corn. That's perfect environment for fungal growth. Uh, so really there's two main diseases we're looking for uh, right now to be scouting. The first one's gray leaf spot, and we're seeing that one popping up more than we're used to, actually finding those lesions on the ear leaf right now. Uh, When you're out looking for gray leaf spot, it's that rectangular lesion. It tends to be brownish in color, kind of follows the veins and can become very long. Um, It may get wide too, but it always kind of keeps that rectangular blocky look to it um, as it continues to grow. The other one we deal with quite a bit um, is going to be northern corn leaf blight. I haven't seen a lot of it yet, but that doesn't mean it isn't going to pop up here pretty soon. Uh, A lot of times maybe we don't see it at pollination. It comes in a little bit later. Um, but northern corn leaf blight is that tannish gray. Really, the one I can remember is how I really remember that one is it looks like a cigar. It's got that oblong shape. It'll get really long. Um, it tends to, it can get a little bit confusing if you got some resistance in that hybrid because the resistance will kind of neck it down and it won't get as fat as that plant actually fights the disease itself. 
So really when it comes to fungal disease, our best line of defense is good plant genetics. So if we have um, some resistance through those plant genetics, that goes a long way in not needing a fungicide. But there are years, I mean, nothing is perfect. So there's years where our moderately resistant hybrids will have fungal disease. Um, I know a few of the listeners are probably wondering about some of these ear diseases. Um, the ear diseases are definitely a problem too. Um, they like that hot, wet weather during pollination. So if you're dry during pollination, uh, your ear rot, such as gibberella, which causes your mycotoxin, vomitoxin problems, um, may be lower potential for those. But there's definitely, if it was hot and humid and wet during pollination, there's some potential there for some of the ear diseases, which we'll have to scout for later. We can't see that they're present right now. Um, it's just looking at that weather forecast and uh, determining if it was right. And then we have to start thinking about, do we want to use a fungicide? Yeah, and I guess when I think about it, I'm always kind of nervous because there's a lot of time between now and when that crop goes to harvest. So how do I really know? I mean, is it just paying attention to the weather, whether, whether, whether I should make that application? Yeah, that is a challenge. So, you know, you're thinking about between now and harvest. So we're sitting here about the 1st of August um, and we're thinking about harvest probably the 1st of October. Really what we're thinking about though to make that crop is early to mid-September. The last portion of dry down, um, if we have some diseases that come in really late, which occasionally we'll get some rusts that come in that usually aren't an economic problem for us. Um, actually, I kind of failed to mention a disease we really need to keep an eye out for, which is tar spot. Mm -hmm. um, you may have, if you're in Western Ohio, uh, or if you're in some of our listeners from states further west, heard about tar spot. It, it's exactly the way it sounds. You're going to see black dots that look like somebody went out, drove down one of those back roads that's stone chipped and the tar got thrown up all over the tractor. That is exactly what the plants are going to look like. So that's definitely one to be on the lookout for because that'll actually take the plants out uh, and kill them where the rest of them will just hurt our yields. Um, that tar spot can definitely cause premature death if it is rampant enough and covers enough of that plant. But when you're thinking about how to timing and you know that next month, so here sitting first April, we're looking out over the next month and a half. If we don't see any disease yet, it probably won't progress enough to hurt yield is what research has shown us. If we see some lesions here at our, you know, tassel R1 timing, um, we could get that economic um, loss and we would see an economic benefit to utilizing fungicide. Uh, if we see some disease now, because the disease has to come in, it has to infect the plant, it has to multiply and all that takes time. And that's disease on the ear leaf primarily. Right. That's primarily on the ear leaf that we're concerned about and maybe the next leaf up or so. Mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of leaves on a corn plant. So as long as we're getting, you know, sunlight interception around that corn plant, we can lose a few, have disease on a few um, and really not hurt yield um, and still have that maximum yield. But when we think about timing uh, on these fungicides, just about everything recommends VT or R1 as that critical timing to apply the fungicide. You get into R2, R3, we don't usually see that economic return on corn fungicide because we're really worried about that early grain fill period, uh, making sure that we don't abort any kernels early on. Uh, also, if you're thinking, I mentioned mycotoxins, if you're thinking about mycotoxin problems, that infection happens during wet silk. So that fungicide application, most of the research shows, needs to be during the wet silk period uh, if you want to have effective partial control of gibberell and some of these vomitoxin challenges. 
Yeah, and that, again, goes back to, you know, we don't know that it's there, like you said, um, so do we go ahead and make that application? Right. You know, I don't really want to encourage growers to just make the application to make it because there's a lot of challenges going on. We're actually doing some research here, looking at vomitoxins, some application methods. Uh, there's some funding from corn growers and I believe USDA also on working on a forecasting system, very similar to the wheat scab forecast system, because it's actually the same pathogen that causes gibberellia. And they're working on making a forecasting system for corn to let us know those years where it looks like we're going to have high vomitoxin and need to spray. Uh, but the challenge is we need to get that fungicide down to the ear. So we have a project right now funded by Ohio Corn Growers where that's exactly what we're looking at. Uh, we have a sprayer set up. We're going to have, I think, two locations, maybe more. Uh, just depends how the weather cooperates here for us to be able to get these fungicides applied. Um, it's a little muddy when we're recording this to get our job done, unfortunately. But we're going to put drops on one side of the sprayer. We have the boom balance, so it's not, you know, tipped sideways as we're going through the field. And we're going over the top on the other side. And we want to see how good a job do we do at getting vomitoxin control. Do we need those drops? Can we just go over the top with a boom? And the real question is, could we use an airplane? Most of the research is done using drops. And so far, it's been fairly well shown uh, across literature that you need those drops because the fungicide has to get on the ear and enough of it doesn't get there with the airplane, which is a real challenge uh, when we look at putting these fungicides on 10, 12 foot tall corn. Right. Yeah. And I mentioned that we did a corn live and Farm Science Review had a sprayer set up that way. So if you're interested in seeing what Jason's talking about, you can take a peek at that on our YouTube channel for Ag Crops team. But look, definitely looking forward to that research because we don't want to go through what we did last year. Right. We definitely don't want to go through what we did last year uh, with guys not sure if they were even going to be able to market their crop. Um, we maybe got lucky in the fact that we ended up with a short corn crop. So yeah. with a short crop, people really needed corn. So they worked harder as an end user to figure out how they could blend in and use some of this high vomitoxin corn that they may not have really even tried to figure out how to use if we hadn't had that short crop. But you know, you have to drive slower when you have drops on the sprayer. It's harder on the machine. Um, you know, and, and when you're driving that sprayer through the field, we did a project a few years back looking at Y dropping. And in our center rows, um, we couldn't really tease out 100% what was pinch row compaction versus sprayer damage. Um, but where we didn't, we were somewhere between four and eight bushels we were losing on our center eight rows on that combine from running that sprayer through. Now, granted, the more years you run, the better job you do at driving. You're not knocking corn over, but if you're a greenhorn and you're headed down through that cornfield, you can do a lot of damage in a hurry yeah. knocking plants at that growth stage. They just don't take that tire side while hitting them like they do when they're smaller. So that leads us naturally into the next topic we wanted to discuss, which is application methods. So the two you're most likely going to use would be aerial or ground. Jason, what's your take on which one of those is best in what situations? Yeah, it definitely is very situational dependent. Uh, the really nice thing about aerial is I can have a lot of acres covered in a short amount of time. Um, and when we think about fungal disease, go back, I talked about, you know, the driver of fungal disease is hot and wet. Um, wet can be caused by just a lot of humidity or by rain. And if wet is being caused by a lot of rain, um, ground rigs are going to be very hard to get through the field. 
where aerial, we can get through the field, we can cover a lot of acres in a hurry. Um, the number of acres we can cover in a day also can be tied to how much you plant. But the problem is uh, with aerial application is that we don't get as good a plant coverage. So we're not getting that coverage deep down into the canopy. A lot of times we don't get a lot of fungicide down onto the ear. Um, so it's kind of questionable and we're doing a little bit of work to look into that as to how well um, aerial applications or booms over the top really do at getting that fungicide down to that ear level. I've seen some work in some dairy circles where they're actually looking at fungicide on BMR, low lignin corn, um, and trying to determine if, that if the fungicide increases digestibility. So what happens in low lignin corn is the cell walls are weaker, so they're more susceptible to fungal disease. Um, the fungal disease infects that corn and it still mounts a natural response, which actually makes those cell walls harder, and those harder cell walls aren't as digestible. Um, so then if you can't digest it as well, you're not gonna make as much milk per bite of feed you eat. Um, so looking at fungicides to see how those affect uh, the digestibility. And what they're finding is if you want good digestibility, you really have to have good plant coverage to really stop that disease. So they're seeing um, that ground applications, utilizing drops, they get better coverage of that entire plant, even down into the lower canopy. Because if we're thinking about silage, we don't even want that disease in the lower canopy. While it may not be important for grain fill, um, we're still gonna harvest those leaves and if they're low digestibility, that lowers that digestibility of the entire plant. So on that coverage side, those ground application is definitely the way to go. But the problem with that is, you know, how many acres can I really cover in a day? With the airplane, you can probably cover, you know, a thousand acres in a day and not blink an eye. I might be pushing it to cover 200 acres in a day. And we also have the challenge with the ground rigs of potentially hitting plants, hurting yield, where an aerial, you know, we're not driving through the field. Yeah, you might take out as much as the fungicide provides in benefit. So, and if you want to see that, um, check out our corn live on fungicide application on the Ag Crops YouTube channel uh, with those drop nozzles and the setup they have there. Um, so we're looking forward to those research results because we don't want a repeat of 2020. Yeah, I think these research results for the project we have with Ohio corn growers are going to be really interesting. Uh, for this year, we're running drops on one side of the sprayer. We're running regular nozzles on the other. So it's going to be ground application, which is higher gallonage than what you're going to get out of the airplane. Uh, but we're going to try to hit a couple fields. So they make a paper that's water sensitive that you can actually put out in the field and then you uh, spray some stuff on it so it can't take on any more water until you run it through a scanner that looks at how much of that paper was covered. So we can kind of do some comparisons um, from other fields of how well the airplane got the fungicide all the way down to the ear compared to the drops, compared to that boom running over the top. So in addition to getting your fungicide application on, you mentioned like how much you can cover in a day. And one of the important things I think when you're planning even before you start planting is looking at uh, not planting all your corn within a five-day window and or spreading it out through different maturity groups. Yeah, so you can save yourself a lot of headaches later on in life by uh, making some important decisions at planting, you know, taking and looking at your hybrids and at least selecting a 10-day window on maturity groups 
um, and planting a mix of maturity groups each planting window you have. So, you know, we have producers that can plant all their corn in five days. Is that really a good goal to plant all your corn the first five days that it's fit? Probably not. Uh, experience is a great teacher and I hate replanting corn. That's probably one of the things that makes me as grumpy as anything on the farm is when I get to go back and replant corn for the second time, the third time makes me really grumpy. Um, so, you know, it may actually be worth on that fourth or fifth day, even if it's fit to plant, go fix some stuff in the shop, go to the lake, whatever else you want to do besides running that corn planter, go plant beans. Beans are a lot better to replant, <laughs> but go do something else and then come back and plant the rest of your corn the next time it's fit. Not only does that spread out uh, your harvest window, um, but it also is spread out your application window. You know, harvest window, that's pretty critical when we think about fungal diseases too. So for our ear rots, if we have an ear rot infection, we wanna harvest those plants early. Uh, yeah, we're gonna spend more on dryer gas, sure, but we wanna harvest early because then we have less fungal growth in that ear. We have a lot of fungal multiplication of ear rot in the fall as harvest goes later and later. That fungus continues to grow, it multiplies, it produces more toxin than what we would have found if we harvested that same corn earlier in the growing season. And then we have stalk rot. Um, stalk rot, there's a couple different fungi that cause those stalk rots. Some of them are the same as cause ear rot, some of them are different. But the next best thing uh, to replanting corn that makes me grumpy is when I have to put the reel onto my corn head mm -hmm. and drive about a mile, mile and a half, sometimes less sometimes one way in order to get the corn into the combine um, and harvest that crop. That makes for a really long, slow fall and things only get worse. That's usually how I end up bending snouts when I hit rocks or, you know, you should never run a rock through a combine when you're running corn until you're trying to run down corn. All of a sudden you scoop up a rock, you don't have your rock trap set tight anymore and it causes a lot of grief. So starting that harvest early, um, utilizing fungicides, if we think we may have stalk rot issues, can be very beneficial to harvest management too. And one thing we mentioned um, in a podcast back in the winter when we were focused on um, ear rot is it you can't make it better in the bin, but you can stop it from getting worse. So you mentioned backing up what you mentioned about going uh, and getting that out of the field in a timely manner. Um, yeah, it will just continue to get worse in the field, but we do have a little bit of control once we get it out of the field. Right, so once we get it out of the field, so fungus likes things wet. So once we get it out of the field and we get it into the bin, we dry it, we may have to dry it a little extra, 13 and a half, 13 instead of 15 and a half or so, in order to stop that fungal growth, but we can pretty much stop it so it doesn't get any worse. Uh, but the longer it's out in the field, the longer it's in that wet environment, um, the more growth potential we have for the fungus. Well, Jason, you've provided us a lot of great information to think about. You know, this is a very timely topic. Um, so make sure, guys that are listening, that you get out in the field and check and see if, what kind of disease pressure you have. You know, if these wet and humid conditions continue, definitely keep an eye on that later planted corn as well, because it's only going to be in a worse situation than the stuff that's tasseling now. Right, and a lot of our later planted corn, we see more of that ear rot because it matures later. So it actually stays, stays wetter in the husk all the way into fall. Um, that's why a lot of times late plantings get accused, and they're also the last ones we harvest, of being the ear rot problem, where the disease we often find uh, through silage work is there early. It's just not as, it hasn't multiplied as much, so we don't see it as bad in that early planted corn. 
So if your fair is during pollination, you should probably spray right because it's always hot and right. it rains during fair. Basically, if you have fair <laughs> and you're anywhere close to the fairgrounds, you should spray during pollination because <laughs> fairs are guaranteed to be hot, humid, wet. Yeah. And yeah, perfect conditions for fungal growth. Maybe that's what you should incorporate into that monitor that you guys are trying to create. <laughs> Is it your fair week? Is no. it your fair week? <laughs> but in all seriousness, yeah, thank you, Jason. A lot of great information. And make sure you guys are making uh, economical decisions. Um, that's really important across any uh, farm that we have out there. Thanks for having me. Always great to help provide information that helps farmers improve their bottom line and get some out in the field looking and asking questions. Hey, podcast listeners, just a reminder to give us a like or subscribe so you know when we release new episodes. If you're enjoying the podcast, be sure to leave us a review also. We appreciate the comments. Thanks for listening to the Agronomy and Farm Management Podcast. Join us again in two weeks for our next episode.